1: Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
3: A warm up, really a low. Welcome to Love Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family podcast. Got a tremendous podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by Alex Fass. He is the VP over there at Pitcherless, and on top of that, Able to catch him on Sunday night baseball. He does some tremendous work over there taking a look at Just all the great pitchers that we've got in the league. So, going to ask him about a few guys that really stood out to him that have been able to take some strides forward this year. Also, just going to be looking a little bit more philosophically as to why we've seen so many of these relievers do a really tremendous job this season. Bullpen ERAs are down even further than starters ERAs. So, we're going to be diving into that little bit of an ordeal and we'll have some fun with it with him in the second segment and then in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for MLB Thursday, as we touch them all, first things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we've got one or two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gunit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. see them. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there. Herbal Fire, whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Only questions I got as to why the LA Dodgers cannot play against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So let's dive right into it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know that he seems a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. Eight to four, the Pittsburgh Pirates get the job done. I know that some of you guys... As if you want to be rolling over the money line with regards to the Pirates in this three-game series, which they get a sweep and first time since 2000 that they swept the Dodgers in LA. I'm surprised it was that recently, but if you want to taking, and I assume. Plus 300 for game number one on the Pirates, plus 275 for game two, and plus 225 for game three on the Pirates in regards to numbers that you get. If you wound up betting $100 and you just kept rolling it over your winnings and obviously the original bet in all three of those games, you would have netted $4,875. On the good old Pittsburgh Pirates it says, for the Pirates, pair of home runs in this one. Ridolfo Castro winds going deep off of Alex Vasilla, his first of the campaign, and starter Mitch White winds giving one up to Brian Reynolds his eighth of the season for White. Gives up three runs and five innings to the CF. He gives up that home run. Two runs in total, give it up in an inning. And then he couldn't find the groove as he wound up having Michael Grove give up three runs in an inning Evan Phillips, two scoreless. And for Buki Betts, too little, too late. 16th home run season. He's having a solid season. That comes off of Anthony Banda, who gives up two runs in an inning out of the bullpen. But O.C. Kitana wasn't a long start, but it was just enough. Four and a third innings, gives up two runs, and J.C. Young gets the win. One and a third inning scoreless, by the way, out of the 22 Pirates. Wins the season. 19 have come out of the bullpen. Dylan Peters gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and Chris Stratton. One and two-thirds innings, scoreless. The Tampa Bay Rays, my DK and Asia pick. They get the job done 4-3 to three against the Walker, Texas Rangers, as Randy Rosarena was the only guy that could get to John Gray in this one. Fifth home run season as John Gray gives up that solo home run over the course of seven innings. Tremendous start here, 12 strikeouts. He did his part. John King from there gives up a run in an inning Matt Bush. He winds giving up a run in his inning And Dennis Santana. He pitches the 10th and the 11th, gives up one run in both innings, both unearned because of the coach runner and for the Rangers. They leave 14 men on base. They wound up getting a pair of solo home runs in this one. Nate Lowe gets his fourth home run season off of Jeffrey Springs, and you wound up having the first home run of the season off the bat of Sam Uff, as Springs has actually become a relatively solid starter here for the race. Not great, not terrible. Gives up two solo runs over the course of his five innings. Bullpen from there, six innings, giving up one under-run. That was by Colin Pooch out there in the 10th inning because the man starts on second, but J.P. Fireheisen, Matt Weisler, both these scoreless setting. as has yet to give up and earn a run, by the way. Jason Adam, Brooks Raley, pair of guys that wound up going for two outs, not giving up a run. And Jalen Beeks, one and two thirds hanging scoreless for the Rays to be able to get the job done. The Chicago Cubs wind up being able to take down the Brewers in 10 innings. 4-3 to the final. Jason Alexander with his first career start for the Brewers and they let him go. 3 runs, 2 of which were earned, give it up in 7 innings. Miguel Sanchez, Devin Williams, they come in for scoreless innings before Hobie Milner gives up the unearned run in the 10th inning that costs them and really for the Brewers what costed them was the bats. 2 of 10 with men in scoring position. You wind up having the Chicago Cubs get a not so great start out of Kyle Hendricks. He has not been himself this year. 3 runs, give it up in 5 innings but Daniel Lawrence, Michael Rucker, Rowan David Robertson and Mark Leiter Jr. all come in for a scoreless innings of five total scoreless from the Cubs and the Cubs, despite going 1-7 seventh men in scoring position, they get it done as Bruce. Have had their difficulties out there at Wrigley Field thus far this season. The Kansas City Royals are having their difficulties in general. They are now 16-33 and as Connor Billington and company are able to get a 4-0 win. And for the Kansas City Royals, certainly not going great for them as they are currently riding a 4-game losing streak. And... For the Cleveland Guardians, they held a Royals team that had scored at least four runs, and I believe now seven out of their last 10 games scoreless, as Brad Keller gives up all four runs over the course of his six settings before he wind up having Scott Barlow and Adreus Vizcaino. Both give you a scoreless setting in. For the Royals, nine men left on bases. Pilkington, five scoreless settings. From there, Eli Mornigan gives you two scoreless. Brian Shaw, Emmanuel Classe. Both give you a scoreless setting, and you now have Jose Ramirez, leading the league in RBI with 52. So he has certainly been on fire. What is not on fire is the Washington Nationals, 5-0. They wind up losing to the New York Mets. It was a first career start for Evan Lee. Not a lot of length in this one. Gives up two runs over the course of three and two-thirds innings. So not a lot of bullpen use here. Kyle Finnegan along Josh Rogers combined for a scoreless settings. Jordan Weems. He goes for two thirds of an inning, giving up two runs. C. C. He gets a out out of the bullpen, gives up a run. Victor Rano, Carl Edwards Jr. They combine for two and a third scoreless. But for the Nats, nothing doing on offense. They strand all eleven men on base as Carlos Ceke, Cookie Carrasco, gives up four hits, five walks, and five innings, but no runs. As Seth Lugo comes in for two scoreless innings. Adamonovino, Edwin Diaz. They close the door. They both get a scoreless inning. And for the Washington Nationals, certainly has been rough for them as they. Wind up getting swept by the Metropolitans. The Marlins and the Rockies wound up playing a very entertaining doubleheader a day in which the Marlins would wind up scoring 26 runs and they wind up going 1-1 one one as the Marlins take game 1, 14-1 as Jess Shislam was the only man that wound up getting a home run in this game, his 8th of the season. Just a lot of small balls, the Marlins, I'm not even kidding here. They went ten of nineteen with men in scoring position as Antonio Sensatello first start off the injured list gives up thirteen hits in five and a third inning six total runs and oh boy Chad Smith he didn't have a good time of it six runs given up in an inning he's now rocking at twenty seventy ERA Ulysse Jacin gives up two runs while getting two outs Randall Grichik a scoreless inning didn't look too bad and Carlos Estevez. Was able to give you a scoreless inning, and for the Miami Marlins, you wound up having Zach Pop go for two innings. He gave up a run, and Edward Cabrera, first start of the year, he did wind up having four walks, but tremendous six scoreless innings, nine punch outs. Dylan Floro also wound up having a scoreless inning, and the Marlins could not recapture that pitching in game number two, 13 to 12. The Rockies win in 10 innings in game number two, as you wound up having Miguel Ros get a home run off of Eder Marquez, his fifth home run of the season. Williams. His fourth home run of the season, Williams Estadio, his first home run of the campaign. And then you wind up having AC Sanchez get his sixth. All three home runs come off of one. Odeman Marquez, another terrible start for him. He has given up at least three runs in, I believe now, six straight starts. and All but two of his starts so far this year. Seven runs, six of which were earned in five innings for Marquez. Robert Stevenson from there gives up four unearned runs as Marquette was... Marquez was hurt by his own error, but then you had Brendan Rodgers and Ryan McMahon. They have a combined 16 errors between the two of them. They both committed one in this spot, but Rodgers would make up for it. You'll find about that in a minute. Lucas Gilbreth winds giving you an out of the bullpen. Alex callmate Tyler Kinley. They both give you a scoreless sending and then Daniel Bard, two innings. Lone run he gave up was the under run in the 10th, even though he did wind up having four walks in the Rockies. They went 10 of 20 with men in scoring position, and Brendan Rodgers wound up being able to put three home runs up on the board his third, fourth, and fifth of the season, so he over-doubled his output from before this game as Trevor Rogers was the victim of one of those, giving up five runs and three two-thirds innings. Lewis Head was the victim of one of those, giving up three runs while getting one out. Richard Blyer gives up two runs and two-thirds of an inning. Tommy Nance, he gives up one run and one and a third inning. Stephen O'Kirt and Anthony Bass combined for three scoreless innings, and then Cole Solzer gave up the other home runs. So that was an issue as he gave up two runs, one of which was earned. So that was a very, very wild double-dip. What wasn't quite as wild was the Braves and the Diamondbacks game. Braves take down Arizona by a count of 6-0. to zero. Kyle Wright was Mr. Wright. Six scoreless settings. Five walks in this one, but still a solid performance called McHugh. Two scoreless settings, and then Jesse Chavez goes for a scoreless inning as Austin Riley. Second home run of the series, 13th of the campaign that comes off of Noe Ramirez, who came out of the bullpen, gave up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. Madison Bumgarner takes a loss, but not a bad start here. Two runs give it up in six innings. From there, Caleb Smith, four outs out of the bullpen, and the newly acquired Ball Fry, after he was cast off of the Baltimore Orioles, Gives up a run in an inning as the Arizona Diamondbacks. Nothing doing. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, right around 70% of their own games have wound up going under the total. So that was another one of them. For the San Francisco Giants, not a great night for them. They wind up putting up five runs in the sixth inning and still blow it. Six to five. They wind up losing... To the Philadelphia Phillies as one, Carlos Rodan gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of five innings. He's hurt by a warmer Flores throwing error, but Jarling Garcia lights fire to this game, and he came into this game looking very solid with like a sub one ERA. He gets one out, gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of bombs going deep. Kyle Schwarber, his. 12th home run of the season, and the young gun, Nick Maiten, was able to get his first home run of the season. From there, you did wind up having one and two-thirds innings scoreless from Zach Liddell, and Jake McGee was able to give you a scoreless inning and for the Philadelphia Phillies. The bullpen didn't light this one on fire. Now, Aaron Nola, not a great start here. He gives up five runs over the course of six innings, including a Wilmer Flores home run, sixth of the campaign, but Christopher Sanchez, Brian, and Corey Knable all give you a scoreless inning. So, oy vey, the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen Actually did something. You did wind up seeing the San Diego Padres fall to the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of five to two as you Darvish gets lit up on the road. Not a surprise here. If you look at Darvish ever since getting acquired by the San Diego Padres, his ERA is about 2.3 points higher on the road than it is at home. Five runs surrendered at seven to two thirds hangs, including home run to Nolan Arenado. 10th of the season from there and about. Grisman did wind up getting it out, out of the bullpen, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, very solid serve from Dakota Hudson. Like gives up one run in seven innings. Drew Veraggen would say to give you a scoreless end. Cody Whitley had a little bit of an issue getting out of the ninth inning. Gave up a run in two-thirds of an inning, including a solo home run. That off the bat of Luke Voigt, his fourth home run season, and then you did wind up having Nick Whitgren get the final out of the game for the Cardinals to be able to get it done. And for the San Diego Padres, we talked about with Andy Vietti on the podcast yesterday. Got a few maybe a little bit of regression with the schedule getting a little bit tougher for them. The Houston Astros did not wind up getting an easy win, but they got a W. Not on the run line, but on the money line. Five to four the finalists. The Astros put up a four spot in the ninth thing to be able to get it done as it's a relatively solid start for Cole Irvin. Gives up one run in five and two-thirds innings. Domingo Acevedo, A.J. Puck combined for two scores, and then Danny Jimenez, who's been rock solid out of the bullpen all season long. He lit this game on fire, giving up four runs in two-thirds of an inning before Sam Selman has to come in and get the final two outs. He did wind up having the first home run season for Christian Bethencourt. That winds up coming off of Justin Verlander. Verlander doesn't give up much other than home runs, and he did so on this day. Gives up two hits and seven innings. Three runs in total because of that home run. So he got a little bit unlucky there. But Brian Abreu scoreless hanging out. The bullpen. Ryan Presley does come in. He does wind up giving up a run in the ninth thing, so that might have costed you a run line, but he's able to get through it for the Astros to be able to get it done. And for the Astros, I believe now they're eighth over on the road this year in something like 30 games. It is ridiculous. They are leading the league in both underrate at home and underrate on the road. The Detroit Tigers have been very much an under team and very easy to get unders when you wind up holding the opponent to zero runs. That's what Tariq Skubal did, 5-0. Tigers wind up getting it done. You're going to hear our man Alex Fast talk about him in the next segment, but 7 scoreless innings for Skubal. From there, you wind up having Joey Menez and Will Vest both give you a scoreless inning, and for the Tigers, they go 4 of 7 with in scoring position. No home runs in this one, but they got to Bailey Ober, who gave up 5 runs in 6 innings before you wind up having 2 scoreless out of Trevor McGill, and for the Twins, just flat out nothing doing on offense. Not a lot doing on offense for the Cincinnati Reds, as they wind up losing to the Boston Red Sox. 7-1 to Hunter Green gets lit up again. Doesn't give up any home runs, but 3 and 2 thirds innings. Punches out eight, but gives up four runs in the process Luis Sessa and Vladimir Gutierrez. Combined for two scoreless settings, Rod Stetweiler was able to give you four outs out of the bullpen before Jeff Hoffman gives up three runs in his inning of work, and for Boston, Garrett Woodlock who's been a little bit shaky recently. Needed a start like this one unearned run given up over the course of six innings. From there, Tanner Houck was able to give you two scoreless, and John Schreiber a scoreless inning as he was hurt by Christian Vasquez throwing error, but very good performance from Boston in this one for a Cincinnati Reds team that by the way, in the month of May, I believe that they were in the top 8 in terms of total run scored, so they've been able to turn things around. Michael Kopech entered into Toronto with a sub-2 ERA. He did not leave with it being that sterling as the Blue Jays get to him. 7-3 the final as for Kopech, three innings pitch gives up five runs off which were earned, including a pair of homers going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays. Danny Jansen, 7th home run season and Santiago Espinal is third and Vlad Guerrero Jr. busted out of a little bit of a funk. He gets his 10th of the season of a Bennett Sosa. Over the last three days, he had been hitting right Round eight two twenty for Sosa. He gives up two runs in an inning. You did have Kyle Crick be able to give you two scoreless settings. Mason Foster, Jose Ruiz, both go a scoreless setting for the White Sox. They're dealing with an injury to Tim Anderson, but they did get a pair of home runs in this one. AJ Pollock has of the campaign and you wind up having Jose Abreu go deep for his sixth as those both come off of Hunjin Ryu. Not a great start from him. Three runs, two of which were earned, given up in four innings, including those two bombs. From there, good sign for the Blue Jays. Five scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Ross playing David Phelps, they combined for four scoreless before Yimi Garcia. So they will get a scoreless one of his own for the Seattle Mariners. They wind up going on the road against Boston and they get smoked. Nine to two the finalists. Robbie Ray, not looking like a former Cy Young winner. Four runs given up in five innings, including homer going deep for the Baltimore Orioles. Runette Odor, who is actually really starting to pick it up. This is like four home runs in the last 10 days for him. Fifth of the campaign. Trey Bumum Mancini, a little bit later, would go deep off of Sergio Romo. Fourth home run season. And Sergio Romo would give up two more home runs. Ramon Odia's fifth home run season. Ryan McCastle is seventh for Sergio Romo. The reason why I called him Submergio is that he submerged his ERA in this one. Two-thirds of an inning, gives up three home runs, five runs in total. That was not great. Ben Murphy was able to give you four outs out of the bullpen, and Anthony Bachevich. a scoreless setting. J.P. Crawford, really the main bright spot of the Mariners in this one. Fifth home run season, he winds up being able to take Kyle Bradish deep, who winds up going four and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs. You wind up having, from there, Cianel Perez, give you four outs out of the bullpen. Felix Batista and Keegan Aiken combined to be able to give you three scoreless to be able to get the job done. When it comes to being able to get the job done, we have been seeing overs starting to do so a little bit more. As for the full season, obviously, it still has been a little bit of an under year if you take a look at the full season numbers. 52.6% of games have gone under the total 364 unders to 328 overs. And favorites, they're also not getting the job done in terms of being able to win on the run line. Favorites overall, they're in at a 59.4% clip 434 and 297 but in terms of favorites on the run line 117 instances where they have won they have won by approximately one run so they're only covering the run line 43 percent of the time and for home favorites which are actually doing worse than road favorites road favorites are in 60 and half percent of the time 58.8 percent for home favorites who are at 274 and 192 among those 274 wins 187 on the run line so 87 instances in which a home favorite has won by approximately one run. And you take a look at the last seven days, 46 overs to 45 unders. So relatively even Steven there and underdogs in this time span are and hitting out of 44.8% clip. so they've been able to do a relatively solid job, and a man that always does a great job, that'd be Alex Fass. He does a great job over there at Pitcher List every single Sunday on ESPN as well for their Sunday Night Baseball coverage coming up next. We're going to be talking about some of the marquee pitchers in the majors and how bullpens have been just so effective this year in general as well. That's up next right here on the Baseball bidding Show with myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast.
0: if you dare.
6: Yeah, I, yeah. Because you gotta think, Love he's it. gonna guard. He don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, he's gonna guard. And then
4: on I'm top not of it,
7: like that, see that,
4: ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Casella Point Game. I remember you came out my room crying tears. <laughs> crying, I mean, he was in a culture
8: shock, and then I, his, he's going to us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OJ, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? You didn't it. Ain't Nick? <laughs>
4: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
3: And we're back in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests as this man is a VP over there at Pitcherless and on top of that, does a great job contributing at a wide variety of places. I'm sure that you've seen this man before as he does some work over there at MASN for the Baltimore Orioles. As that is his team. He's done some work with ESPN. You've seen him on our Mobi Network, guys. It is Alex Fast joining me on the show. Does a great job just taking a look at everything that we're getting with the top pitchers in Major League Baseball. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at his name, Alex Fast, and then the number eight altogether. And Alex Great to have you aboard. Thank you.
9: Thanks so much for having me, man. Always looking forward to opportunities to talk more pitching, so I appreciate you having me on.
3: Always love having you aboard, and I do appreciate all that you do as well, because something that I've noticed this year is that bullpen ERAs are down even more than starters ERAs. As we know, it's been a very good year for pitchers, but I take a look at the bullpens, and they've actually seen a little bit more of a drop in their ERAs and starters Is there anything that you've been able to identify that might be the cause of this? Because I know that in the past, in betting spheres, there's been a lot of people are like, I just don't want any part of these bullpens. They all stink and everything like that, which I think that that was obviously a little bit overblown. But that said, I've been very impressed by the bullpen pitching this year. Has there been anything that has been unique to this year that has led to the bullpens just being so dominant? I think it's kind of
9: an amalgamation of things. So I think first and foremost, in the beginning of the year, we saw a lot of funky things that was happening with the ball, right? And We saw a lot of suppressed offenses. The ball was definitely a contributing factor to that. And I think as the temperatures start to rise a little bit, we'll start to see that the ball is probably going to fly out of the yard a little bit more and offense is going to return to the levels that we're a little bit more used to seeing. I did think that was a contributing factor at the beginning of the year. The other contributing factor that I think is the biggest factor when it comes to the kind of rise of bullpen dominance is the difference in bullpen utilization. It's no secret that over the past couple of years, we've started to see more of a reliance on what did... Uh, Kevin Cash call it, right? Like a staple of arms. I think, I think yeah. that's him. And that is kind of permeating throughout the rest of the league. You don't need guys, at least this is the organizational mentality that I feel like we're seeing a lot, who are going to be workhorses, who are going to throw 200 innings. And it's not because they can't do it. Maybe some organizations don't want them to for health, health concerns, but it's more about what the analytics says, right? Which is that there's a lot of third time through the order penalties that you're going to see. And rather than dealing with those and riding the hot hand or whatever, you think is subjectively happening, shrink the game a little bit more, bring it to five or six innings, and then just go to a reliever who is going to be throwing you completely different looks from the side, from up top, from all the way to the left, along with elite velocity and usually one breaking or off-speed pitch that's really going to be fantastic and unlike anything that batter has seen so far in that series. So if you have that as an option, there's no need to stick to what is the typical experience, right? Which is seven innings out of a starter and going to your bullpen. You can truncate that game, increase your wins. And I think that's a big reason as to why we're seeing a lot of really dominant bullpens this year.
3: Now, I don't think that this is entirely the factor with it, but I just still take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates going into Thursday. The fact that, all but three of their wins have come out of the bullpen. Just absolutely ridiculous. You wouldn't have seen that in past years. So we are seeing a little bit of a change here as we do have Alex Fast joining me on the podcast. And how much do you contribute just to the front offices and the managers being able to figure things out as well? Because we have seen a lot of experimentation. You mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays. They they were calling them the 98ers, I remember, a few years ago with that stable of arms. But They were really the originators of the opener. As we know, there have been a lot of teams that have tried it and have failed. But how much do you contribute to teams just trying out different things, saying, all right, the opener didn't wind up working for us, but insert philosophy here, that did wind up working out. And just being able to have that all mesh together just with more intel with trying out different things with their pitchers.
9: Interesting. I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind right now is uh, is another team that is perpetually tinkering in terms of things that they're willing to try, and that's the San Francisco Giants. Before we banished the DH, they were a team that virtually had two completely different lineups, whether or not a right-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher was starting. And now that we have the DH, you would think, okay, well, maybe they'll be a little bit more flexible. And <laughs> I mean, I guess in theory that they have, because what we've seen so far is a willingness to you know, pinch hit for guys in the fourth, fifth inning. As soon as a pitching change is made, regardless of whether or not a person has a hot hand, they're getting taken out of the game. The example that comes to mind is Evan Longoria being removed yesterday after a really great start against Ranger Suarez and having a little bit of a tiff in the dugout with Gabe Kapler because he clearly wasn't happy, right? He was doing really well. Nick Nelson comes in, who's a right-handed pitcher, Evan Longoria does not have great numbers in terms of WOBA. I think it's sub 200 against right-handed pitchers this year. Gets taken out of the game and he isn't too happy about it, which makes a lot of sense. I'm sure it's going to make a lot of people who are betters pretty upset, too, because if you want to bet on Jock Peterson, you don't know whether or not he's going to survive into the sixth inning because if a pitcher comes in, Gabe Kapler doesn't like that matchup. He is going to say, you know, with what you're thinking in terms of personality or, or you know, as a baseball player, if the analytics don't like it, you're probably coming out of the game. And that's one example of it. And I bet a lot of fans listen to that and they absolutely hate it. But then sometimes there's other examples, right? You have guys like Joe Girardi, who's willing to keep Aaron Nola into the third time through the order repeatedly, despite the fact that the analytics say that he really should not be in to face the third time through the order. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So we have two ends of the spectrum, and that's the beauty of the sport. A bunch of different clubs trying a bunch of different things and seeing what sticks
3: as we know last year was absolutely amazing for the san francisco giants and all that they were able to do and this year We've seen quite a few pitchers be able to rise up. I think that you'd be in agreement with me. We've seen a lot of younger guys being able to really put it all together. Have there been a few in particular that have stood out to you? Because I'll bring out one that has stood out to me, Zach Gallen, just the way that he's been able to take off the and and the Diamondbacks, a guy that I've been high on for the last few years. I felt like if he could just reduce the walks a little bit, he'd be a terrific pitcher that has happened thus far this year, and the guy has absolutely been able to take off, so I've loved to see that, but we have been a few guys that really stood out to you that you felt like they had the pieces that they've really been able to put it together thus far.
9: You're totally right about Zach Allen. What's kind of crazy about him is there's theoretically another gear there. We haven't really seen a lot of consistency out of his cutter and his changeup, and if that's a pitch that he can find a little bit more frequently, we're talking about him being able to sustain that 2.32 ERA while increasing the K rate and the swinging strike rate a, up to what we saw maybe in 2020, which was the last time he had a of a full season where He wasn't really pitching injured, so he's a really exciting guy. The one person that I've been watching over the course of the year that I just absolutely love, and I was really high on him coming into this year, and I've been wrong about plenty of guys, but I've been right about him so far, and that's Tarek Skubel. He's been really the ace of that Detroit staff so far this year. He's got a 204 FIP, which is fantastic. He's got a 2.44 ERA. The Ks are up. His changeup when he uses it is really fantastic. He's got a really unique slider that sometimes because of camera angles can look a little bit like a four-seamer, but he's been great. And oddly enough, he's another dude who could theoretically get better. So far at the beginning of the year, no American League pitcher has been hurt by their defense more than Tarek Skubel. So there could be another gear there. And on the NL side, it's a guy who just does not get enough respect, no matter how good he pitches year over year. And that's Sandy Alcantara. I mean, the Marlins have a fantastic pitching staff. They don't get a lot of love because they're a really competitive division and they're not Atlanta. They're not Philly. They're not New York, right? But He's been fantastic. And he's a guy who threw 205 innings last year. He was a workhorse. He's actually had three back-to-back games of eight innings or more. His most recent with 14 Ks against Atlanta. I believe he recorded 27 whiffs, which is the second most so far out of any starter this year, right behind Shohei Otani. So he's a guy who every time he's on the bump, I'm trying to watch. He's a blast.
3: Yep. and Sandy Alcantara is a guy that we're going to be seeing on Thursday. I'm very excited to take a look at him as and he's been getting right around eight and a half strikeouts per nine. and it's been so, but he does a really good job of being able to get soft contact as well as we do have Alex Fast, a pitcher list, trying to be on the podcast. And I've been noticing this more and more this year there have been some guys that they have been a little bit more of pitch to contact guys I take a look at someone like a Cal Quantrill he's not going to be going out there trying to get like 10 plus strikeouts in his starts but he's been a steady Eddie guy has been relatively solid for the Cleveland Guardians and a lot of it is because he does wind up getting a little bit of softer contact what do you think is one of the biggest things in these guys that they do pitch to a little bit more contact but they have been able to stay in games and they've been able to be relatively consistent with it yeah Cal Quantrill
9: is a really good example I mean there are guys who are going to live and die by their BABIPs, right? Which can be a little bit scary, but people need to remember that BABIP isn't a number that's always going to head back towards 300, right? Cal Quantrill, for example, has got a 279 career BABIP. He had a 267 last year, over 150 innings about. So that showed that that fit might not be a stat that you would really want to pay attention to him. Analytics is all about context. You can't go to a player page on Fangraphs and pick out one particular statistic and say, oh, because he has this, he's going to regress," or because he has that, he's going to get better. There's always a series of things that are going to contribute to it. There are other guys too who've been able to pitch to contact successfully. One of them is Martin Perez. He's been fantastic this year. He seems to have reworked his approach a little bit more, and when he does pitch to contact with that 56% ground ball rate, it's been really wonderful wonderful for him. There are other guys too. I mean, Framber Valdez is a guy who's perpetually kind of been trying to induce ground balls. It's a big part of his game. But I do think, you know, when you're a sinker guy, Logan Webb is another guy who comes to mind, Dane Dunning, you're able to kind of induce that weak contact. So you got to pitch your strengths. You don't need to all of a sudden be a guy who's trying to put up a 28 30% K rate, which is the popular thing nowadays. Pitch to your strengths. If that means inducing weak contact with a sinker or cutter, by all means,
3: do it. To your point about Martin Perez, he has given up four earned runs over the course of his last eight starts. That yeah. is absolutely ridiculous for a Texas Rangers team that, hey, eh, you could probably use a little bit more offensive support, but that has been absolutely tremendous to be able to take a look at. And then just one thing that I'm taking a look at when it comes to Thursday as well, is a pitcher in particular, Sean Benet, that I've always been relatively high on. He's been having a little bit of a rough go of it, has given up three-plus runs in each out of his last five games, but has been able to go at least six complete with regards to all these starts. What do you make out of him thus far this season? Because it's been a case which he's been able to get lots of swings, swings and misses. The walks are a little bit higher than what you'd like, but has been able to do a relatively solid job to this point. What do you think needs to wind up changing, if anything at all, for Sean Mania moving forward, because I was very excited when he wound up going to San Diego. It hasn't necessarily been the world's greatest year, but I take a look at the stuff and he still looks like he's been doing a relatively solid job and getting a little unlucky.
9: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of the thing like I was very excited last year when Sean Mania seemed to kind of change up that arsenal and really just focus on being a sync or change up slider guy. Obviously, he had a good amount of success doing that. And I was excited to see if he was going to be able to replicate that. One of the things that's kind of bizarre and kind of maddening when it comes to him is the pitch velocity. There have been times where he's been able to hit another gear with his pitch velocity, kind of amping things up to 92, 93 miles an hour. And then when he does that, he's able to have a lot of success. I mean, you know, he's never going to be a guy who's throwing 95, 96, but when he can sit 92, 93, he's able to be successful, but we haven't been able to see him sustain that really over the course of, I mean, maybe you'll see back-to-back games every once in a while where he's able to do that. But so far this year, it's been kind of maddening. If he can do that, if he can find that consistent gear then I think he can get back to being the pitcher that we saw last year um, maybe even a little bit better or at least perform to that fit a little bit more but the inconsistency is certainly a little bit maddening.
3: Yep it certainly has been a little bit of a tough go it for him. Padres have been able to do a great job this season but a little bit of a weak schedule so I'm going to be very excited to take a look at their series with the Milwaukee Brewers this weekend. I'm very much looking forward to all your work Alex because you do a terrific job over there at a wide variety of platforms and hey I'm sure that you must be excited that the Baltimore Orioles have been able to put together a little bit of something this year as well. It's actually been very fun to watch them. Their bullpen has been absolutely terrific this year. So that has been something nice to see. But, Alex, I know that you're doing just absolutely tremendous work across a wide variety of platforms. So let the good people know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah,
9: thanks so much for having me. You can find me on Twitter at AlexFast8. And you can look out for some overlays I do every Sunday for the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast. So, yeah, check out my work there every Sunday night.
3: Alex is doing an absolutely terrific job. You're able to catch him just in a wide variety of place, places. Masson over there in more of the Charm City area, as he mentioned, ESPN, pitcher list, list goes on and on. And Alex does an absolutely terrific job whenever he joins this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beeson v- v- Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time the podcast to give you a fix and analysis on every game on the betting board on this MLB Thursday as we touch them all.
0: If you dare. If you dare.
2: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love.
4: Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're
3: back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beats and Family Podcast It was great to be able to get Alex Fass on today. He is the VP over there at PitcherList. You've seen him on a wide variety of platforms. Does a terrific job with just taking a look at all the great pitching that we are seeing in Major League Baseball. You're able to catch him every Sunday and Sunday Night Baseball as well. So it was great to be able to get him aboard today. Big thanks to Alex for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we... Touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
3: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at gunit underscore 81. As per usual... We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we wind up going with the National League games first, then the American League games, and any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy there. And we are going to be going with the first game, which is also the DK Nation pick of nine fifty one, nine fifty two on the betting board. You got the Washington Nationals at the road. They're going to be facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati. Who's on to Graham Ashcraft, who's going to be getting the start and. Yon Adon is going to be getting the start for the Nationals. The Nationals are anywhere between plus 110 and plus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the red legs, it's between minus 125 and minus 139 and a half is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. And the DK Nation pick, shock, shock, surprise, surprise. It's not on the Washington Nationals. Yoan Adon has been terrible this year. He has made 10 starts. The team has lost nine of them. Eight by multiple runs. It has not been going well now. To the surprise of many, Johan Adon in his last five starts, four of them have wound up going under the total. That's not necessarily because of him, though. That's because Washington Nationals have scored two runs or fewer for him in each out of his last five starts. With Mr. Adon, he has been certainly giving up quite a few runs. He has given up at least three runs in seven of his starts thus far this year, 6.08 ERA, and that balloons with a 6.87 on the road, where he's given up three home runs in 18 and a third innings, and opponents earning a 2.84 off of him. And then for Graham Ashcraft, he's actually looked solid in his first two starts. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression, not much of a swing and miss guy. Four strikeouts over the course of 10 and two-thirds innings, but it's been a little down the fort. And These two starts have come against the Blue Jays on the road and against the San Francisco Giants, and team has been able to win both of them. The DK Nation pick, by the way. That is on the Reds' money line. I wound up setting this more around a minus 145-ish, but if you take a look at this Reds lineup, does it leave a little bit of something to be desired? Absolutely, but Albert Tamora Jr. along Tyler Stevenson, they're both inning above a 290. You've had... You've also had Matt Reynolds step up. He's hitting right around a 275 for this bunch. Now, Joey Votto has just been a hot mess all season long, but Kyle Farmer, he's been able to give you, like, four home runs over the last seven days. Taylor Naquin has been able to get on base for the team as well. Tommy Pham, when he's not slapping people, has been okay for this bunch as well. Now, Reds bullpen, it has been brutal. They have brought in Ross Weiler to be able to hold down the four for this team, and you've actually had Joel Kunal, along with Alexis Diaz, do a very solid job of be able to hold down the four for the team, but Hunter Strickland, Art Warren, these guys have been really, Rough to say the least, and then for the Washington Nationals, I don't like this bullpen has necessarily been too terrific either. As you got Tanner Rainey, who's actually looked halfway decent this year, but Kyle Finnegan has been all over the place. They wound up having to use pretty much everyone out of the bullpen yesterday. That was not necessarily too terrific. It's Carl Edwards Jr., Victor Rano, Steve Seascheck. They all wound up seeing innings. I will say this for the Washington Nationals, they have been able to do a solid job with a Reach base. Cesar Hernandez, d Strange, Gordon Yadier Hernandez, all have been able to hit between a 282 and a 293. Josh. Bell sitting above a 300. And now Nelson Cruz, since he's come off the injury list, he's been looking relatively okay for the team. Juan Soto only in a 230 though. That has been an issue for the team. The zombies has been okay. But you expect a little bit more than eight home runs out of him this season. The bottom of the lineup has been halfway decent. So I do think that we're going to get runs in this game, but just no faith here in it Adon. DK Nation pick going to be on the Cincinnati Reds between a minus 125 and a minus 130 on the money line. And with this total, set it at 10.1. So looking over and looking at the red legs with the DK Nation pick. 953, 954 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins are going to be playing those to the San Francisco Giants. Alex Wood is going to be on the bump for the Giants. And Sandy Alcantara is going to be on the bump for Miami. For some reason, this is a game that currently does not have numbers. I have no idea why. Perhaps we're going to be seeing a late pitching change here, but... I wind up having this handicapped as Wood versus Alcantara and made Sandy Alcantara and company a minus 124 favorite. And I did wind up saying this sold at an 8.3 and 8 or less. I'll be taking a look at an over an 8.5 or higher to the under. I recognize that it is a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in Miami San Sandy Alcantara. As we were talking about a little bit earlier, he has been tremendous. He's got a buck 95 ERA at home. He's given up just two home runs over the course of 37 innings at home with opponents sitting a buck 98 off of him. But this is a San Francisco Giants team that They've been able to do a very solid job of being able to put back the ball recently. Mikey Strumski hitting above a 300 for this bunch. Got a lot of guys that... They sort of have been in that pocket of I would say about a 250-ish. You've got Austin Slater, Wilbur Flores, there, Jack Peterson sitting at 275, 12 bombs. Sorry, Estrada sitting at 280. They've been dealing with some injuries like Evan Longoria just wanted coming off the injury list. He's had four home runs in the last ten days. Tommy Lasell has been able to do a solid job be able to find a way on Brandon Crawford has had a relatively pedestrian season thus far, hitting right around a 220. Along there, and Ralph but his team has been able to do a good job of being able to mix and match. And when it comes to the Giants, the bullpen has just not been what you'd expect it to be. Camilo Duvall, Jarlon Garcia, these guys have been very solid. But you've been noticing that you just haven't been able to get a lot of production in general out of some of these guys that you relied upon last year, like Jose Alvarez, Tyler Rogers. These guys have had a rough go of it, especially Jake McGee, a north of six ERA for him. And for the Marlins, you did wind up having a double dip yesterday. So they are going to look to as many innings as humanly possible out of Mr. Alcantara because they did wind up having to dive into that bullpen. Anthony Bass along with Lewis Head, both have been able to give you a sub 2 ERA. These guys have been tremendous for you, Tommy Nance. Whenever he's been out there, he's actually been able to do a halfway decent job himself. Zach Pop has his ups and his downs, so Tanner Scott has been able to relate. And for the Miami Marlins, this is an offense that is starting to fire on all cylinders. Got a guy in Garrett Cooper that's sitting a little bit above a 280. He's done a nice job. of reach base or a Batting average is down, but he's been able to give the team a double-digit amount of formers, Asus, AGR along John Birdie. They're both hitting right around 250. Brian De La Cruz, he's back at the fold. He's hitting above a 260, so you do have some relatively solid pieces here, but I do think that Alex Wood going to get touched up a little bit by the Miami Marlins, 481 ERA from this season. and. I mean, the swing and miss stuff, not necessarily too bad. A little bit over nine straight cuts per nine innings with 2.7 walks per nine innings, but has been a case in which he has really had his struggles just all season long, and more specifically at home, on the road, 391 ERA, 611 home ERA, as he's got an opponent's batting average of a 289 right now, so... He's up and fooling a lot of guys with both of these bullpens looking a little bit shaky coming in. I did wind up making it to where an 8 or less is going to be looking at an over 8.5 or higher to the under and made the Marlins a minus 124 favorite. 955, 956 on the bank board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be playing us to the Slam Diego Padres. Sean Menez is going to be going for the Pods and Adrian Don't call me Howser, is on the bump for the Milwaukee Brewers. Don't Call Me Doogie Houser is finding himself in between minus 113 and minus 120. Meanwhile, with the Pods, it's staying between even money and plus one then 8 to 8.5 is your total. On the 8, the over is minus 120, and the under is even. On the 8 and a half, flip at under is minus 120, and the over is even. And when it comes to Brewers, I did up saying them as a favorite here of minus 133, it's been a little bit befuddling taking a look at John Manea, which is why I did wind up asking Alex fast about him, and been a case in which he's got a 4.02 ERA. The swing and miss stuff has been relatively solid. A little bit over 9 strikeouts per 9 innings, but he's giving up hard contact right around 1.4 home runs per 9 innings. He has been having a little bit of an issue with regards to walks. A little bit over 3 per 9 innings, but you just take a look recently. He has given up at least 3 runs in each out of his last 5 starts, and then you take a look at Mr. Hauser, and he has had his ups and his downs recently in his last 5 starts. He's got 2 starts in which he has allowed 1 earned run or fewer in the other starts. He has allowed at least three earned runs. So, it's been ups and downs of one of those starts. Didn't mind it coming against the Padres. Now, the Brewers have lost each out of the last four Adrian Hauser starts, but I do take a look at Howser. He's been a little bit better throughout his career at home, so I do think that that is going to be beneficial for this Brewers team, and you do take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, and it's a bunch that has been dealing with a couple of injuries. You take a look at this starting lineup, and right now you're without Hunter Renfro. Willie Adamas has been dealing with his ailments as well, so they're really relying upon Rowdy Tellez to be able to get the boom going, hitting right around 250, 10 home runs thus far this season. Omar Nervaez, Mark Pedasso, these guys are in between about a 275 to a 265, and I will say, guys like Cassini. He- Era, Tyrone Taylor, they've been able to step up a little bit more. And then on the flip side, you take a look at the San Diego Padres team. And I talked about this with Danny Vietti yesterday. It is a very, very top-heavy lineup. Manny Machado, Eric Cosmer, both of these guys are hitting 300. you You've got one other guy with at least 20 at-bats, and sitting above a 246 that would be Jorge Alfaro. So, I mean, it's a case in which you've got two guys that are absolutely carrying the team, and they just haven't been able to get a lot of home runs. 36 home runs in 49 games as far this season. Now, what I will say for the Padres as well is that they've actually been able to hit much better on the road than they have been at home. They've got a road batting average of a .241, a .222 home batting average, and they've got 18 home runs in 23 games at home. That's actually been a little bit less on the road, and for the Padres, it's been a little bit of a rough go of it when it comes to the bullpen as well. You've been able to get some relatively solid innings. Uh, Taylor Rogers up until recently, and about Chris has been able to come in as a nice long guy for this team as well, but Robert Suarez has an area that is above a 3-3. You haven't been able to get a lot. Some of these guys like Steven Wilson, who's posting up right around a 5-ish ERA. Some of these guys are just lower down the totem pole. In regards to the bullpen, just have not been able to come through them for the Brewers. You've got that dynamic duo, Devin Williams, Josh Hader, Brad Boxberger. has been able to do a solid job now. Guys like Trevor and Company, they're not bad. They're not terrific, but I do have a little bit more faith in this Brewers bullpen. So willing to lay up to a minus 133 with them. I'm going to be taking a look at the Brewers. And I do think that you've got a pair of offenses that they've been beneficiaries of for the Padres, just being able to get hits with two outs and just a little bit of luck in general and for the Brewers, a relatively soft schedule. So I did mind up saying the soda at 7.8 as well. Looking under and looking crew. 957, 958 on the banking board. The Chicago Cubs are gonna be playing us the St. Louis Cardinals. Matthew Libertor is gonna be going for the Cardinals and Keegan Thompson on the bump for the Cubs. This is a pick'em game. Both teams are anywhere between minus 104 and minus 110. So that keeps things nice, clean, and easy. Total's currently off the board because of regularly field. It is all dependent upon the wind. Right now, what I'm seeing is that the wind is most likely going to be blowing out just a very, very slight tad, but it is going to be a five mile per hour wind, if not a little bit less. So the wind is not really playing a big factor here. I wind up saying my total to wear an eight or less. Gonna be taking a look at an over an eight and a half or higher. Gonna be taking a look at an under. Once again, wind just really not a factor because it's just so low. So I didn't have to make too much of an adjustment there. If we wind up seeing higher gusts, I'll adjust accordingly, but really didn't have to factor it into this one. But that said, you do take a look at Keegan Thompson and this guy's been dynamic, whether it be as a starter or out of the bullpen. But 58 ERA in both roles. He has been magnificent. Now swinging miss stuff. It's relatively solid, right around eight strikeouts per nine innings, walks per nine rate hovering right around about a 2.4-ish. He's been able to keep the ball in the yard, so he doesn't necessarily do one thing masterfully. He just is a very good, solid pitcher. And then for Libertor, he's come up to the big league level, and in two starts, he's allowed four runs over the course of nine and two-thirds innings. I wasn't necessarily overly impressed with him at the minor league level. I think that he's going to be good in a year or two. He's 22 years old. He has wound up giving up five walks in nine and two-thirds innings, so I do think that this might be a little bit of a rude awakening for him. And you do take a look at this Cubs lineup, and you do... You have guys that may able to get on base for this team. You've got Wilson Contreras. Being able to hit right around 270, he does a good job of being able to draw some walks. Ian Happ has north of a 350 on base. Patrick Wisdom has 11 home runs, I will say. The swings and misses, not necessarily too terrific, but he does wind up hitting the ball of the yard. And then you've got Nico Horner, couple with Christopher Morel, both hitting above a 280. Now with the Cubs, a little bit of an issue for the team. has been the bullpen recently. Started out the year very hot, and now Scott Efres, Rowan Wick, these guys are starting to give up some runs, both of their ERAs. have now trended north of a three after they were, like, Sub 150. Just 10 days ago, Chris Martin has now four ERA. Daniel Norris has not been able to get the job done and then on the flip side. For the St. Louis Cardinals, there's been a little bit up and down with the guards of this bullpen as well. Nick Wicker and TJ McFarland have not been able to have tremendous seasons. Giovanni Gallegos has been a little bit up and down. Ryan Elsley has really been the main constant for the And You do take a look at this lineup and you've got plenty of guys being able to get on base. Paul Goldschmidt, I believe is now riding a 23-game hit streak. He's got 11 home runs, 43 RBI. He has been absolutely tremendous and then you take a look from there. Nolan or not Juan Yepes, along with Tommy Edmund. They're only between a 274 and a 284. Ever since, you've had Mr. Nolan Gorman come up to the big leagues. He has been absolutely tremendous for the team. Brendan Donovan is sitting at 300, so Cardinals have certainly been there with regards to their offense. I just think that Librator winds up getting a little bit outgunned here by Keegan Thompson, so as a result, won't take the Cubs here, but won't lay up to a minus 112 there. And like I said, with the total, interless looking over in after higher to the under as we go to 959, 960 on the betting board. You've got the Colorado Rockies playing us to the Atlanta Braves. Ian Anderson is going to be going for the Bravos, and Austin Gomber is going to be on the bump for the Rockies. The Rockies are finding themselves. As pretty big home underdogs, you're going to be able to find the Rockies anywhere between plus 125 and plus 134. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Bravos, anywhere between minus 142 and minus 145 with an 11 total over and under. And between minus 105 and minus 115, I made the Rockies a very, very slight favorite. I do think that Atlanta having to travel to elevation. That is going to wind up taking quite a bit out of them. We always see Colorado with that home field advantage wind up having a big one with that regard. And for Ian Anderson, he's been a little bit inconsistent this year. A 434 ERA, it has been a case in which He's had a tough time finding the strike zone, four and a half walks per nine innings, right around 1.2 ish home runs per nine innings. That's not necessarily too terrible, but you'd expect a little bit more swing and miss out of him as well. Right around seven strikeouts per nine innings, and then for Austin Gomber. This guy was absolutely masterful at home last season. He wound up having an ERA hovering right around two at home, north of a 5-5 on the road last season. Now, I will say this year, 5.51 ERA overall, he struggled both at home and on the road, and has given up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings, swing and miss stuff with with them right around 7 strikeouts per 9 innings but you do take a look at this Atlanta Braves bullpen and it is going to be a little bit more rested than the Rockies because the Rockies they wound up having to go into a double dip yesterday but when it comes to this Braves team you do have a couple question marks out there Kenley Jansen has certainly been up and down this year Now I will say this about the Atlanta Braves. They do have a top 10 bullpen in terms of ERA Jackson-Steven and able to do a relatively solid job as a long guy but you've had someone like Adair O'Day be a little bit up and down as well and for the Colorado Rockies and you'll Part, has been able to do a terrific job for this team. Alex Colme has proven to be an okay acquisition to this point and Irma Marquez, though, he wound up getting lit up yesterday. He was able to fill some innings in game two of that double dip, so that did wind up being able to relieve a few arms for this team, so you are going to have someone like a Chad Smith if you want him out there. He is going to be available, but the big thing for the Colorado Rockies is that you take a look at the batting average for this team at home as compared to on the road, it's right around 45 to 50 points higher. This is a team that going into game two of their double dip yesterday Hitting a 284 as a collective at home with CJ Crone, nine out of his 13 home runs going into the day. They had wanted coming at home. Ryan McMahon has been just so much better throughout his career, home to road. Connor Joe has been able to make this thing a go whenever he's been out there. He's got right around a 390 on base at home. It has been a case in which guys like Randall Grichuk and company have also been much better at home than on the road. And for the Atlanta Braves, this is a bunch of as a collective. They're hitting a sub 220 on the road now. Coors Field should be able to elevate that a little bit more. And you have had Austin Riley doing a solid job being able to go deep. He's up to 13 home runs this season. He wound up having a pair in that series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So he's starting to eat up, giving you right around a 260 batting average, B Swanson. He's been able to hit right around a 265 this season, but he's been a little bit lucky this season as well. Adam Duvall, he's hanging below the Minotes line of 200. I think that he's going to progress with that regard. Matt Olson, right around a 370 on base. But I do think that Austin Gomber is going to be able to Gomber up the Atlanta Braves in this spot. One upsetting Colorado as a very slight favorite. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Rockies, and when it comes to this total, do you mind setting it at a 10.3? I do think that Anderson and Gomber both can have a little bit more command than they've had in previous starts this season, so I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, and I'm going to be looking at the Rockies getting a plus price. 961, 962 on the betting board. the New York Metropolitans hit the road faceoff against the LA Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin is going to be going for the Dodgers and Taiwan Walker is on the bump for New York. Currently, we've got no numbers up on this game. A little bit strange that we don't. Perhaps there's going to be a late pitching change, but assuming we do, they wind up getting Walker and Gonsolin. I do mind up saying the Dodgers, as a minus 181 favorite here, plus 113 if you're looking to lay a run a half with them as it's been a rough go of it for the Dodgers. I'm currently recording this during the final game of their series with the Pittsburgh Pirates, but losing a pair in a row to the Pittsburgh Pirates is not necessarily too terrific and I think that the Dodgers are finding out the hard way how big a play trying is to this bullpen because you've noticed that Craig Kimbrell has not been able to do the job for the team. It's actually been guys like Evan Phillips, Alex Vesea, Oh, they were doing a nice job holding down the fort, but Phil Bickford being on the fold has also been bigger than I think a lot of people would anticipate. Justin rule has been able to do a solid job, and for Tony Gonsolin, he has not necessarily been the master of being able to give you length, but Gonsolin has been able to, just throughout his career, be able to give you some good swings and misses, and you take a look at what he's been able to do this season. He has been giving out a couple more walks than you'd like, but he's been able to go north of five innings in quite a few of his most recent starts. He's given up three home runs in 45 innings, his nearly nine strikeouts per nine innings, and then for Taiwan Walker, last year he wound up having a road ERA that was nearly two points higher than his home ERA, which is why I am a little bit bearish on him thus far as the season. 283 ERA. Hasn't necessarily been too bad on the road to this point and has been able to keep the ball in the yard. Two home runs, give it up in 35 innings, and you notice it last season. Last season prior to the All-Star break, he was not giving up any home runs whatsoever second half of the season. He was giving up Rockets, and with this New York Mets lineup, they've been able to really embrace small balls. You got Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte, Pete Alonso, all in between a 284 and 286. So these guys have been tremendous. Francisco Lindor, 345 on base with Alonzo, led the league in home runs on the road last season. Thus far this year, he's got 13 home runs. You've got Luis Colorme, who's hitting right around 360. Thomas Nito, whenever he's been out there, has been solid. So very good lineup there. And for the LA Dodgers, you've had a couple cold bats thus far this year. Justin Turner is starting to turn it around, but he's not had a great season. Cody Bellinger, he's just been out of the fold in general, rightfully. So so he has been not necessarily so good in a few years ever since the Dodgers wound up winning that World Series answer. So Alberto, Chris Taylor, they're both hitting right around a 250-ish and Mookie Betts. I mean, talk about an MVP contender. He's got 15 home runs right now. He's hitting nearly a 300 and then Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman, they're both hitting right around 300 as well. But that said, I do think that the Dodgers should be able to get a little bit more online in this spot. If you get a ridiculous number, I'm going to need to just to take it a plus price with the Mets with the way that they've been rolling in general. The bullpen is not necessarily lights out, but at the same time, it's been good enough you've been able We'll get some solid innings out of someone like Andrew Smith, who's posting up right around a 2-4-ish ERA, Seth Lugo. He's had a little bit of a tough start to the season, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Edwin Diaz has been solid in the closer role as well, so we I mean, need the Dodgers, minus 181 here, and with the yards this total, 7.5 or less, looking at an under and an 8 or higher. Going to be taking a look at an over as we go to 963-964 on the bank board. The Minnesota Twins at the road off against the Detroit Tigers as Alex Fajardo is going to be going for the Tigres, and Chris Archer is going to be on the bump for the Twins. The Twins are themselves in between a minus 125 and a minus 130. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Tigers, it's anywhere between plus 110 and plus 118 with 8 to 8.5 being your total. On the 8th. the over is minus 120, the under is even. And on the 8.5, the under is minus 120 and the over is even. And with the Minnesota Twins wound up setting them as a favorite of minus 137, Chris Archer has not been able to give you a lot of innings this season. He has yet to complete five full innings, but you take a look at what Chris Archer has been able to do and he's been able to really turn it over to the bullpen relatively cleanly. Has been giving up right around a home run and a half per nine innings. He does wind up getting some good swings and misses right around eight punch outs per nine innings and that's a lot of why Chris Archer doesn't wind up going deep in his starts. Feels like there's a little bit too much perfection there. He winds up jacking up his pitch count really early and because he has been dealing with the thoracic outlook syndrome he has not been able to go too deep into starts as he has been rehabbing from that and then you take a look at Alex Fajardo and he's been relatively solid for this Bunch being able to give the team between 5 and 6 innings in every one of his starts. It's given up 3 runs or fewer in every one of them. Not going to blow you away with swing and miss stuff. Right around 6 strikeouts per 9 innings. His walks per 9 rate that hovers right around at 2.7. Nothing great, nothing terrible, but just a steady-eddy steady guy and he's backed up by a Detroit Tigers bullpen that is in the top 3 in the big leagues in terms of ERA. You've really had these guys firing on cylinders all season long. Alex Lang, a sub 2 ERA. Will Vest has been a little bit banged up. He should be returning soon, but Gregory Soto at the closer spot, he has been relatively dominant. Drew Carlton has formed himself as a good long reliever for the team. Andrew Chafin has been able to give you some nice innings along Jason Foley. And then you take a look at the Minnesota Twins, and having Danny Columbia back is going to be very big for this team, as he's someone that you're able to trust in. He's still on the injured list, but is relatively close to returning Joe Smith. He's got a sub 2 ERA. Trevor McGill has been able to lend a little bit of long relief as well. A sub 2 ERA for him, Johan He leads the leg in terms of pitches of north of 100 miles per hour. But you do have your question marks when it comes to this Minnesota Twins lineup, mainly Byron Buxton and the fact that he's sitting right around the middle line of 200. He wound up getting the day off yesterday, and he probably needed it because it's not been good since coming off the injured list. Nick Gordon, though, sitting right around 250 Gio Rochelle. He's been able to do a great job of getting on base. And Luis Arias, how about him hitting right around a 350 this season Trevor Larnish? right around a 370 on base side. A ton of power when it comes to the scene, but they've been rock solid, even with guys like Max Kepler and Miguel Sano, the fold-in for the Detroit Tigers. They erupted yesterday. They were able to put up five runs in the first five innings of their game with the Minnesota Twins, as they currently are dead last in the league when it comes to home runs, and you just take a look at the score, and it is not good. Spencer Torkelson, Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Javi Baez, you're able to throw in there just a few other guys as well that are hitting right around a 215 or lower. It has been very bad for the team. Harold and Willie Castro have been able to do a nice job of getting on base, both hitting north of a 280, and you do have that Tigers bullpen as relatively well, so rock solid for Fayado. Just with the fact that he doesn't wind up getting a lot of swings and misses, I just have a little bit of faith, less faith in him than I do in Chris Archer and just that bullpen in general of the Twins. I do think it's going to be a low scoring game. So total out at some point. I'm looking under in this spot, and when it comes to the Twins, I'm making them a minus 137, so look at Twins and looking under. 965, 966 on the betting board. You got yourself the Tampa Bay Rays. They're going to be in the road, and they are going to be facing off against the Walker, Texas Rangers. Taylor Hearn is going to be going for the Rangers, and Corey Kaluber, the Kalubat, is going to be on the bump for the Rays as you've got the Rays find themselves as a favorite here of anywhere between minus 124 and minus 130, seeing straight minus 118 out there as well. Meanwhile, with Texas, it's anywhere between plus 105 and plus 120. Year total on this game is 8.5 over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. The under, it is anywhere between minus 110 and seeing as good as a plus 105. And when it comes to the glue bot, I want them setting him as a minus 153 favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take a look at the Rays in this spot with the Rays. They've been struggling a little bit on offense during the series, both of these teams and really been able to do a great job with their bullpen. As you take a look at the Texas Rangers and Joe Barlow along with Raiden Burke, both of these guys posting up sub-2 ERAs this season has been very good for them, and then you take a look even a little bit further down the line. Matt Moore, I think that there's going to be a regression with him. He's been able to do a solid job, but these guys have been able to do a solid job, but be able to hold down the 4 and They're going to need to, because Taylor Hearn, 3-3 three and three record, but a 5.36 ERA, and you just take a look at the contact upon contact, and he's giving up, he is giving up right around 10.5 hits per 9 innings. Kluber, he's giving up right around 9 hits per 9 innings as well, but Does a better job keeping the ball in the yard, right around one home run per nine innings for him. Meanwhile, Taylor Hearn, more like a home run and a half per nine innings, and for Hearn, he's got nearly double the amount of walks. Per nine innings as well. Kern is giving up four and a half walks per nine innings. Kluber closer to two. And with the race, God love what you're able to get out of someone like a JP Fire Eyes and Jason Adam has been able to do a very solid job for this team as well. And then you do take a look at the race lineup and you could use a little bit more pop, but you do have G Man Choi, Eandy Diaz, along with Randy Orozarena, only between about a 250 and a 260. Francisco Mejia as well. They have a deal with Juan de Franco being out of the fold, but Manuel Margot, he's been able to uh, go for the seam 380 on base, and then take a looking for the flip side for the Texas Rangers, and Marcus Simeon is starting to pick it up. He's been hitting right around at 250 over the last 21 days for the team. Mitch Garver, Corey Seager, Adelis Garcia, they're only in between about a 225 to a 240. Bottom lineup with guys like Eli White and Ibanez have been far from terrific for this team and for the Rangers. A little bit intermiss with regards to deep ball, but they rank at the bottom 10 in the big leagues in terms of the percentage of their hits. Man White is turning into extra bases, so that's a bit of an issue for this team as well. I do think that Corey Kluber certainly going to be able to out Taylor Hearn in this spot, I do think that both of these guys do wind up giving up a little bit of contact. I did wind up saying this total at an eight point three, though, because I do think that it is going to be a case in which both of these bullpens are going to be able to put out whatever fire is set by Kluber and Hearn. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under and with the Rays, willing to lay up to a minus one fifty three with them. So looking Rays and looking under nine sixty seven, nine sixty eight on the betting board. The Toronto Blue Jays they're going to be playing against the Chicago White Sox. Johnny Cueto is going to be going for the White Sox and Alec Manoa is going to be going. For the Jays and the Jays, they are finding themselves as relatively sizable favorites between minus 170 and minus 180. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Sox is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 165. And half is your total under, is anywhere between minus 115 and 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 105. When it comes to the White Sox, I do want to seeing them as a plus 184 underdog because I love the way that Alec Manoa has been pitching all season long. And if you're looking at the run line of the Jays, finding this anywhere between about a plus 110 to a plus 115, I need. at at least a plus 105 to be able to take a shot here. We have gotten there so I'm going to look to reduce the juice. I do think that this is a Blue Jays bunch that they're finally busting out of their funk of not being able to hit with men in scoring position and that's very evident by what we've been seeing the last few days. This is a Blue Jays bunch that all of a sudden they have been able to put at least four runs up on the board in each out of their last I believe now seven games might even be eight after what we wound up seeing on Wednesday so this has been terrific for the Toronto Blue Jays. You've had Vlager Jr. starting to step up a little bit more, he's still hitting only for about a 340 on base, but that said, you know that he's going to be able to step up. But Waschetti setting a 255 for this bunch. Alejandro Kirk setting a 300 as well. You end up having George Springer get the day off yesterday, but he's up to nine home runs. He's been doing a solid job He'll be able to keep things moving. And all of a sudden, Remy Tapia starting to step up for the team along. Danny Jansen, who he was out of the fold for a little bit this season, wound up getting his seventh home run of the season yesterday. And for the White Sox, I had to downgrade them quite a bit because their most constant hitter that would be Tim Anderson. He's on the injured list on Daniel Mendick and his place has been hitting right around 300. I just don't think that that's going to last with him. Andrew Vaughn he's hitting a 285. He's been able to give this team some nice pop and all of a sudden Jose Abreu. He's starting to bust out. You take a look at what he's been able to do over the last 15 days. Sitting just below a 300. He wanted going deep yesterday so that's a good sign Along Jake Berger and Adam Engel both hitting between about a 240 to a 250 but A.J. Pollock has had his ups and downs. This is a White Sox bullpen that has been a little bit all over the place themselves. Only being able to get three innings out of Michael Kopech. That. I wanted but really putting them in the eight ball yesterday, Liam Hendricks. He's been able to do a much better job here in the last few weeks in the closer spot. You've had Kendall Graveman been dealing with a little bit of name so That winds up bleeding them a little bit as well. Jose Ruiz, Benitzosa, Sosa, they've not been able to do a great job now. If there is a kryptonite when it comes to Blue Jays, it is certainly the bullpen as Emi Garcia has been able to pick it up a little bit. Adam Simber has been rock solid, but Trevor Richards has been unreliable. Jordan Romano starting to give up some runs as well. When you take a look at a guy like Trent Thornton, he's been okay, but still, I do think that Alec Manoa just going to come in and absolutely absolutely dominated in the start as you just take a look at the numbers and this is a guy with a buck 77 era and dating back to last year and it starts to have truly been in Toronto because he wound up having a couple in Buffalo a sub 2 era strikeouts per nine rate is actually a little bit down this year it's more around an eight after it was a little bit closer to 12 last season but Given up far less hard contact. 5 home runs at 56 innings, and his walks per 9 rate is right around 1.6 meanwhile Johnny Cueto. He's given up closer to 4 walks per 9 innings. Swing and miss stuff has not been bad. He's a relatively solid pitcher, still at his advanced age, but certainly not getting as many whiffs as he did early on in his career and I think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to hit him. I didn't mind saying the total at a 7.7 so situation which I'm going to be going under because I do like the way that Manoa is rolling and going to be looking at the Jays on the run line. 969, 970 on the bank where the Baltimore Orioles they're going to be playing those the Seattle Mariners. Chris Flexen is going to be going for the M's, and Jordan Lyles is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore is finding themselves as an underdog. Anywhere between plus 102, seeing even money out there, along with a plus 110. Meanwhile, if you're looking at Seattle, it's anywhere between minus 112 and minus 120. Nine is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105, seeing a couple eight and a half swap up as well. The eight and half over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is between even and minus one my total at an 8.7. I'd rather have a 9-under rather than an 8.5-over, so that's where I'm going to be looking with regards to the total at a 9-under, but with Chris Flexen, it's been a little bit of a rough go of it for him this season, and just throughout his career in Seattle, he's had nearly a point higher on his ERA on the road rather than at home, but he's starting to lock in, wound up having an incredible start. His last time out against the Seattle Mariners, overall has been giving up right around 1.7 to show runs per 9 innings, he needs to lock it in with the walks, 3 walks per 9 innings, but he seems to have found his way after having a cataclysmically bad start to the season and for Jordan Lyles. Giving up much less hard contact this year. Last year he gave up 1.9 home runs per 9. and 38 bombs that he gave up in total. That was the most out there in the big leagues. His walks per 9 rate, he's suffering right around a 3-ish. With that regard, strikeouts more around an 8-ish sub. He's been able to do a better job this season and for the Baltimore Orioles, this is an improved bullpen, but one that I think is going to be going through regressions. CNL you know, Perez still has a sub-1 ERA for this team. You have not been able to have really any day off whatsoever for this Orioles bullpen in quite a while. You have been able to have a very good long reliever and Keegan Aiken being able to hold down the fourth for this team, but Orde Lopez, Logan Gillespie, both having sub-150 ERAs and it's going to wind up coming down. I like Felix Batista, but I think that they're relying upon it a little bit too much. I do think that there's going to be some progression when it comes to the Seattle Mariners bullpen and Diego Castillo has been posting up right around a 7-ish ERA this season. Matthew Festa, he's really been able to lock it in after his ERA. On a game north of 5, Anthony Michevich is starting to have that ERA go downward Downward. Penn Murphy. He's got a sub 2 ERA and then with regards to Seattle Mariners, this is a bunch of last year. was one of the worst teams at King on base in all of baseball this year. That has been anything but the case. As Ty France. He's got north of 35 RBI. He's got a 423 on base. J.P. Crawford, he's hitting right around at 300 for this team. Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez, both have right around at 310 on base. Suarez has been able to go deep nine times. And Adam Frazier hitting a 255 with Leo Rodriguez over the last 30 days. He's hitting above a 3 on them for the Orioles after they wound up beginning of the year as one of the top under teams in all of baseball. Each of their first 12 games either went under or they pushed on the total. They've all of a sudden been able to find some offense as Ryan Moncastle, he's hitting at 260. Cedric Mullins has still had a tough year. He and Anthony Santander along with Ramon Urias, all in between about a 232 to a 240. But Trey Boomer Mancini, Austin, the C.A.'s kid. Both of these guys are earth 365 on base, both hitting right around 300. Rune Odor all of a sudden is starting to hit some home runs for this team as well, but I do think that with the new dimensions out there in Baltimore are going to play a little bit more to the favor of both of these guys, but I do think that Seattle has a little bit more with regards to their lineup to be able to get it done. I'm going to be looking at Seattle in this spot, laying up to a minus 128 and looking at a 9-under, and we wrap things up with a double dip. 971, 972, 973, 974 on the main board. The LA Angels and New York Yankees are going to be playing a pair after they want to get washed out yesterday. It was supposed to be Otani going up against James Sentayan. Now it's going to be Otani and Nestor Cortez going in the early game at Reed Detmers against Jamison Tyon in the nightcap. We could wind up seeing a little bit of a Rooney with regards to these pitchers, and as a result, both of these games do not wind up having numbers, but that said, with regards to Detmers versus Jamison Tyon, wound up making the Yankees minus 168 on my handicap, 8 or less looking at an over 8.5 higher to the under with Detmers. He did wind up having that no-hitter earlier this season, but you still have your question marks when it comes to Detmers, and this is by the way, even though it is the Game that is going to be earlier in the rotation. This is the 405 game, but with Detmers, he has given up seven home runs and 40 and two-thirds innings this year. Lacking swing and miss stuff. Only getting right around five and a half strikeouts per nine innings. His walks per nine rate is not bad. Two and a half walks per nine innings. But you do take a look at James Santayan. This guy has been dealing at home ever since he wanted up getting to New York, his ERA at home been right around point half better at home than on the road. You take a look at Jamison Tyon, and he's given up right around 0.7 home runs per 9 innings. His walks per nine rate is below 1. So, he has been dominant there. The Yankees no doubt have a advantage when it comes to a bullpen as well. Michael King has started to regress, but he's able to give you multiple innings. You've really been able to have some good performances out of Wadi Peralta, along with Clay Holmes. Both of these guys sub 2 ERA's Ron Medicano is needing to be relied upon a little bit more because Chad Green, Jonathan Lewis, these guys are currently on the injured list, but when it comes to the Angels, you don't necessarily have too many reliable options whatsoever as Ryan Tapera has a north of a 4 ERA. Aaron Lupus started to regress for the team. Jimmy Herget is a guy that's able to give you multiple innings. Archie Bradley is now back off the injured list as well, and Oliver Ortega does have a sub-3 ERA, but certainly the advantage here goes to the New York Yankees, and the advantage with the lineup goes to the Yankees because you've got the league leader in home runs in Aaron Judge. 18 bombs, Hitting a 300 for the team. Anthony Rizzo has not hit for a lot of average, but 325 on base, 11 home runs for him. John Carlos Sain currently on the injury list, but Matt Carpenter of home runs for the team. That's been a little bit of a surprise. Isaiah Canera-Falefa, uh, D.J. LeMay, Clayber Torres, only between a 250 and a 260, and then you do take a look at this Angels bunch, and you've been able to get production outside of Mr. Otani and Trout, which has been very good. Most notably Taylor Ward, who's starting to regress a little bit, but still a 460 on base. 10 home runs for him. Otani and Trout, it combined 24 bombs out of them with Trout giving you a 400 on base. Jared Walsh is hitting a 250. He's went deep 10 times. Brandon Marsh is hitting a 275, so you do have your guys there that are able to perform, but that said, I think that Tyon is just going to be able to let up Reed Detmers in this spot, so I did what I was saying, Tyon minus 168, 8 or less, looking at an over 8.5 or higher to the under, and then with Otani versus Cortez, Two very good pitchers here. I did wind up saying Cortez as a minus 132 favorite. This is actually going to be the earlier of the two games. I wanted running through the lineups and the bullpen, so I'm not going to do that again. But with Cortez, I mean, you just take a look at how masterful list. this guy has been. Buck 70 ERA at home. He's actually been a little bit better than on the road throughout his career, but it's darn near equal there. Strikeouts per nine right, right around a 10.5. And for Shoy Otani, last year he did wind up having a five ERA on the road. He has been much better on the road this season. He's given up only about a home run per nine innings aside from the shaky start that he wound up having against the Texas Rangers, by and large, has been able to do a solid job, and his swing and miss stuff is off the charts. Right around 12.7 strikeouts, per nine innings. Walks per nine rate is at two. He has really been able to rate it in with that regard after he had a little bit of a difficulty last season with regards to the walks, but I do think that just the Yankees in general are going to have a little bit more behind Nestor Cortez. I give a slight edge to Nestor Cortez and then I give the edge to the Yankees bullpen along with the lineup, which is why I did send Cortez at a minus 132. And this is a spot in which, despite the fact that it is Yankee Stadium, seven and a half or less, going to be looking at an over and an eight or higher. Going to be taking a look at the under end. Now we'll wrap things up. For the Thursday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. A big thanks to Alex Fass of Pitcherless for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at g 41 Keep in mind, letters us hear. Yeah. does not matter. Size per usual. Please just send these into the timeline and the other ways. Find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast Bye-bye. Five star view equipment at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.